all of this takes me to another verse that changed my life. We're in this series, this verse changed my life, and we've already heard several people share verses that changed their life. Now, I'm blessed today to share a second verse that changed my life. I've been telling people this week, I get to share more than one verse that changed my life because I've needed a lot of changing in life, right? So God's had to work hard, so he's put a lot of verses in my life that have changed me. And so this week, I'm going to share a second verse that changed my life, and that verse is Ephesians 5. 25. So go ahead and take your Bibles out if you would. Turn to Ephesians 5.25. There's no doubt that the thing that changed my life more than anything else is my relationship with the Lord. However, when I think outside of my relationship with Christ, the thing that has changed my life more than anything else would have to be my relationship with Kim. You see, being married, no doubt, has had a profound effect on my life. When you have someone else who shares with you every day and every aspect of your life, <coughs> it cannot help but affect you. Now, when my relationship with Christ, hear me, when my relationship with Christ intersected my relationship with Kim, there was this multiplying effect that radically impacted me. In fact, it's hard to explain, but as we look at our text today, hopefully you will understand a little bit about what I experienced, or more importantly, what God wants you to see about how Jesus can impact you in all areas of your life. Let me read Ephesians 5, 25, and then we're going to come back and we're going to unpack it. All right, it says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, when I read this verse as a person who is married, it no doubt provides for me a great challenge. When I read these words, I must reflect on my life and consider, am I loving my wife in a way that reflects the intent of this verse? There's no doubt that looking at this verse, there are several principles that I can glean and apply as a husband, but we also need to understand that there are principles that apply here to all of us as Christians. You know, years ago, I read a book by Gary Thomas entitled Sacred Marriage, all right? Now, some people glanced at the title of that book, and they refer to it as Scared Marriage, and I don't know if there's any significance in that, but what I know about that book is it is the most unique book I've ever read on marriage because the general principle on which the book is written is the idea of this, that God has designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy. In other words, marriage gives us an opportunity to grow in our faith. I love this approach because Thomas made it clear in his book that marriage is not this magical tool that makes one happy in life. In fact, it can be just the opposite. Marriage, in many cases, can make one miserable, all right? And no one better say amen to that if you're sitting next to your spouse this morning, right? <laughs> or it's going to be a miserable trip home from church, right? My guess is, though, every married person has at least an idea of why I would say that. If you are here and single and you believe that if you could find just the right person and get married, then everything in your life would be right, I want you to put that thought out of your mind because God is never meant, ready? God is never meant for any person on this earth to make you happy, okay? For only truly a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ can truly make you happy. If you marry who you think is the perfect person, it will not be long before you cannot stand the way that person brushes his or her teeth or the way he smacks his food when he eats or the way she has to have everything in his place all the time or the way he makes jokes at your expense or how you both seem to operate on different time schedules or you name it, all right? It won't be long before you realize that Mr. or Mrs. Perfect is not perfect at all. 
All right? Everyone has flaws that at times can be hard to deal with. Just getting married is not the answer to your problems. You see, in marriage, you have an imperfect person married to another imperfect person. However, here's what these imperfections do. You ready? They provide for us the opportunity to be like Jesus, <coughs> loving even through imperfections. Like Thomas suggested in his book, when one is married, there's plenty of opportunities to grow and what it means to be a Christian. In fact, let's look at this text and see what we can discover about living for Christ, not just in marriage, but in life. Let's read Ephesians 5.25 again. It says, husbands, love your wives. Look at this. As Christ loved the church. Notice in this verse, husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And what this clearly reminds us all as believers is this, that Jesus should be your example, okay? Often in life, we look for people to imitate, do we not? We, we do, right? Every one of us do this. When I, was a young, when I was younger, much younger, and playing basketball, Kyle Macy became my idol. Now, some of you know who Kyle Macy is, right? Some of the young folks say, who in the world is Kyle Macy? Well, Kyle Macy played for the Kentucky Wildcats on their 1978 championship basketball team, and he became my favorite player because this is a guy who shot the ball from 25 feet, all right, before three-pointers were a thing, and he shot it from 25 feet just simply because he could hit it from 30 or 35 feet, right? He was just a great shooter, and so I wanted to be like him. So I began to imitate him. Now, if you know Kyle Macy, if you ever watch Kyle Macy shoot a free throw, every time he got to the free throw, he got to that free throw line and he'd come down and he'd get his sock straight just like this and then he'd sit there and he'd shoot that free throw, right? Well, if anybody ever watched me play basketball in high school, guess how I shot a free throw? I'd get to the free throw line, I would bend down, I'd get that sock right, I'd get that sock right, and then I'd sit there and I'd shoot it, right? Now, the good thing about me imitating Kyle Macy, I shot 90% from the free throw line, right? <laughs> So there were benefits, but I'm going to be honest with you. I probably got that more from my dad than I did from Kyle Macy because he probably shot about 99%, all right? But, but anyway, I wanted to be just like him, all right? I wanted to imitate him, okay? Now, later in life, when I became a preacher, there was a season where when I was learning to preach, I just imitated my favorite preacher of the time. In fact, there, there was one moment that my favorite preacher, he alliterated everything in his sermon. So every point alliterated, every subpoint alliterated, man. Now, some of you hear that and say, I'm glad you got past that, right? And others are saying, I sure wish he would still do that because I love alliteration, right? Well, I just had that time where I just imitated them, all right? And as we think about this, again, we all know we have this, this tendency to imitate people, all right? We act like them in every various different aspects of our life. It's why we all, right, ch chuckle at those commercials where they talk about us becoming more like our parents, right? Because we understand we do imitate even our parents, even in in the parts that annoy us, right? So, so be careful about telling, again, your spouse that he or she acts like the parents. That could be a scary thing, right? It might start a fight, all right? What, what, what can cause such great problems in some marriages, though, is this, that some spouses imitate what they saw in their homes growing up, and the expectation of the other spouse is quite different, and so conflicts ensues. You know what I mean, right? Say, for example, if a husband grew up in a home where a father, he went in and he just sat down and he watched sports while mom did all the housework and did all the cleaning. But then let's say the wife grew up in a home where they shared those responsibilities. I'm here to tell you, if the husband begins to act out what they saw at home, there's going to be conflict in that home. Amen? 
Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know you do, right? That's where we can get in trouble of imitating others. Because here's, here's why we get in trouble. You ready? Because all earthly examples are not perfect examples. They all fall short, right? Look back at what Paul wrote earlier in the chapter in Ephesians 5, verse 1. He says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Though imitating our parents can get us into trouble, we do have a parent we are to imitate, but that parent is God the Father, right? And since Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, we know that when we imitate Jesus, we are imitating the Father. When we are told in verse 25 to love as Christ loved the church, it is a reminder that Jesus should be the example that you follow. You know, when you want to know how you act in life, in any and every situation, you look to Jesus and you imitate him. You see, I, I like to think that Kim and I have a good marriage. But I'm going to tell you, I don't want people to imitate us because there are so many things that we could have done better than the way that we have done things. I like to think that I was a pretty good parent to my children when they were growing up, but I don't want people to imitate me because there were definitely things Kim and I could have done better with our kids. And this is true of any earthly role model. None are perfect. We should always look to Jesus, seek his character and example and follow him for only he is perfect. So only Jesus as our example will do. You see, for me in life, as I've said, I've often imitated other people. And when those people are imitating Jesus, that can be good examples to follow. However, we should always look beyond our earthly examples and instead look to Jesus because his example may help us see that we need to do some things differently even than the best earthly example that we have. Do y'all hear me? All right. We need to follow Jesus. Now, when I truly began to look at Jesus and my example in all things, even marriage, it changed my life. Now, when you look to imitate Jesus, one thing you'll discover is this, that you are called to love. Again, here in Ephesians 5, 25, it says this. It says, husbands, look at this, love your wives. Now, some of you might hear that statement and say, well, well, that should just make sense, right? I mean, it should make sense that we love, but to be honest, in, in a way, true love is not natural for us. In fact, if I were to ask, what does it mean to love someone? I bet I would get many different responses. We can often say or believe we are loving someone when we are really far from actually loving that person. Most of, of y'all have heard me say before that when I married Kim, I would have said I was in love with her, but I really wasn't. I was in lust with her. In many ways, she was just an object to satisfy my longings. I would have said I was expressing my love to her when, when really, you know, what I was doing is simply doing things that were making me happy. This isn't love. In the day when Paul wrote these words to tell husbands to love their wives, it was a necessary thing because many women in that time were treated as second class and they were often treated even as property. So Paul's words were necessary to remind husbands that true love is something that we need to understand and something necessary for us to express appropriately. If you go back to Ephesians 5 again, this time to verse 2, it starts with simply these words, all right? To all Christians, he says, and walk in love. You see, all believers were given the command to walk in love because no matter who we are, we can struggle with what it truly means to love. Other people for us, all right, can all become a means to an end right? People can be seen as tools that we use to get what we want rather than someone to love. People can become a tool to get the job done. 
can become a means of entertainment, the source of our financial security, a person to help raise the kids. Think, think about this. We can even help people in a way to say, this is an act of love when we are simply doing this, using the person as a means for me being personally fulfilled, right? Since helping others feels good, it's very easy for us to do what we call acts of love and there not really be any true love presence. Now, I don't want you to hear me say that it's bad for us to feel good about helping people. I mean, it should absolutely feel good, right? Right, it, it, it should, but however, I believe it's important for us to ask if what we are doing is really about loving others or loving ourselves. Did you know you can even go on a mission trip to express your intent is to love others as God would have you to love when in reality, it's just an adventure for you? Yes, you might minister to people in the process, but it's really just about you and not about others. I mean, you can give a love offering to help an organization or a good cause, which seems like a virtuous act, when in reality for you, it's more about the tax write-off or the recognition for being generous or just the good feeling you receive from the act. So just don't think, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing fingers at you. I want you to know this. Guess what? You can preach a sermon saying, I'm doing an act of love for God because God wants me to love people by preaching when you can preach just to get the pat on the back and people will say, good job, well done. You hear? We all need the command to walk in love because we all can truly struggle with what it means to love. Love is more than just having people in our lives who are our tools for us to get what we want or our objects for enjoyment. Because see, not only do we struggle with making tools that we use, we can get also where instead of loving, we can also make the mistake of defining love as a romantic love. In other words, seeing love is when I find the person who completes me romantically. Now, being a teenager of the 80s, y'all know this, right? Being a teenager of the 80s, I grew up with all the good music. <laughs> right? All the good music was from the 80s. Y'all all know that. Especially all the good romantic music. I mean, consider these lyrics from Peter Cetera of Chicago, okay? You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration, right? You bring feeling to my life. You're the inspiration. Want to have you near me, right? I want to hear you saying, no one needs you more than I need you. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Kim will get me for that one when I get home, all right? But y'all know what I mean, right? All the good songs came from the 80s, all right? But don't those words, listen, don't those words say it all? Unfortunately, that is often what we do with love. We view love as this romantic love that, that can only be found in that perfect person. Here's the truth we need to grasp, all right? Love is not just about finding a romantic love. Gary Thomas, who I've already mentioned, made this observation. Marriage doesn't solve emptiness. It exposes it. If someone can't live without you, he or she will never be happy living with you either. So his counsel, marry someone with a solid core who doesn't depend on you for those things. That's good advice, right? And the point I'm trying to make and that Thomas was alluding to is this, is that if love for you is simply about finding someone who makes you happy, then you have a skewed view of love, but this is often how we view love. When we are called in this passage to walk in love, we're being called to a different kind of love. In fact, the love spoken of here in this passage means this. It means I'm seeking the highest good for another person, okay? 
Again, I'm not seeking my fulfillment. This is not about me. Love is when I am seeking the highest good for another person. It is moving beyond yourself to others. Consider this. For love to be at its highest point, the object of your love has to be someone else and not yourself, okay? Now, as I think about this truth, it really leads me to the next thing we can see in this verse that changed my life, that true love involves sacrifice, Look at what he goes on to say. He said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? And, and what? Gave himself up for her. This phrase is probably the part of this, this verse that truly changed my life. When I realized that true love involves sacrifice, it made me look at how I was loving my wife and others. And I realized that my love was far from what it needed to be. I realized, especially with Kim, that in the early years of a relationship, it was really more about me than about her. As long as she pleased me and I was satisfied, in my mind, everything was great. I didn't even realize that many of the things that I was doing to me, expressing love to Kim, were really just self-serving. However, when the strain in our relationship made it to the point that I feared that our marriage was going to be over, I was forced to look in the mirror and realize that much of the blame for the misery in our marriage was because of me. Because instead of giving myself for her sake, I was wanting her to simply give herself for my sake. And that was a recipe for disaster. You see, if we go back to verse two again in this chapter and read all of it, we see that same thought commanded for all Christians and not just husbands. He says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Jesus is indeed our example in everything and Jesus calls us to love. And when we look to his example of love, it is truly about sacrificing for the needs of others. When Jesus offered his life for a sacrifice for sin, it was the highest display of love possible. And it is the example that we must follow. In, in our marriage and really all relationships, it should not be about what I get from it, but what am I giving for it? And, and I, am I sacrificing in a way that demonstrates true love? You have to ask yourselves if you love thinking about what is best for the object of your love or what is best for you. You have to ask, am I acting selfishly or am I acting sacrificially? You see, when I counsel couples for marriage, I tell them one of the secrets for a healthy marriage is when a spouse comes home, the question that spouse, when they get home, should ask in their mind is this, what does my spouse need from me today? And then seek to sacrificially meet that need, all right? Now, why should they ask that question? Because typically, when a spouse comes home through the door, what thought goes through their mind? Y'all know, right? What is my spouse going to do for me today? All right, you, you might not think, but that's what we do. And here's what happens. When I think that thought, this is what I'm expecting my spouse to do for me today. And then that spouse doesn't do that. Guess what happens? A spouse gets, say it, somebody, mad, right? They get mad. Well, they, didn't, they don't love me, right? Because they didn't do this for me, right? So they get mad, all right? And so then they just act badly, right? And so then the other spouse really does get mad, right? And it becomes a cycle when one's not giving and trying, then the other one holds back, and then it's just this vicious cycle, all right? But when we come in and we have this mentality, I'm gonna come in and say, look, what, do, what does my spouse need from me today? And I begin to meet that need, and I sacrificially meet that need. You know what typically happens? One spouse is really satisfied, and you know what a satisfied spouse is more likely to do? What's a satisfied spouse most likely to do? 
Ask that same question. What do they, what does my spouse need for me? Because they've loved me and they didn't know what can I do for them? Do you hear me? You with me? Sacrificing this way is an example that Jesus set for us and the example we are to follow. If we are to be honest, we rebel against this a little, right? Because we are so selfish. But if you will hang with me, you'll see that sacrificing becomes a mutually beneficial action. Let's even do this. Let's take a step beyond verse 25 because we see the motive behind what Jesus did. Let's start back at verse 25 and we're gonna keep reading now through verse 27. It said, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, did you notice a couple of things? First, this, that Jesus gave himself for the purpose of sanctifying the church. Sanctify means to make holy or to set apart. It also says he cleansed her by the washing of water with the words. In other words, what you see is is Jesus died in order to work for the good of the church. Maybe I should mention as well that, that believers, you understand, we are the church, right? All right. Jesus died so that he might save us, but also, hear me, that he also might cleanse us that he might help us be holy and without blemish. Now, I hope you understand that means Jesus gave himself for an ongoing commitment to us. There's not a single believer here this morning. I know this, right? There's not a single believer here this morning who when you made your commitment to Jesus Christ, you became perfect, right? Anybody wanna raise your hand and say, I did. No takers, right? I know, right? But here's what you should have experienced. In that moment is the beginning of a relationship where, yes, Jesus saved you and he gave you eternal life, but where he also began to work in your life to help you become holy and without blemish. I will tell you this, because Jesus acted so selflessly and gave his life for us, we truly benefit from his act of service. Without Jesus working in my life, I'm here to tell you, I would be a mess. Anybody with me? All right. But because Jesus has worked in my life, not just in one moment, but also in all the moments since I have placed my faith in him, I am a better person. This is the testimony of every genuine Christian. A genuine Christian understands that the sacrificial love of Jesus is a love that is ongoing and is a love that is life-changing. Are you with me? Now let's consider what is the result of this ongoing sacrificial love of Jesus. Because Jesus has made such a sacrifice, what he gets in return, you ready? Is a beautiful bride. A bride presented to him in splendor. Look at verse 27 again. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now let me ask you, does Jesus benefit from the sacrifice he made? Nobody wants to say yes, right? But yes, right? We benefit because we are saved from our sin and we are able to experience eternal life. We benefit because we gain his work in our life that changes us and grows us into something beautiful. But Jesus benefits from having a beautiful bride, a people who love him and who glorify him in the world. The love of Jesus, hear me is really mutually, mutually beneficial. Do y'all get that? Is that, some of y'all, I've never thought about that. Is that new to some of you? I hope it's not, all right? 
Yes, God, and it is beneficial to us. But Jesus says, listen, here's the benefit for me. I get a beautiful bride. I get a church, all right, who loves me, who glorifies me, all right? There's a benefit. Likewise, let, let me say something to all of us. You ready? When you love selflessly, you, relieve, you receive something that's beautiful. I can truly say, when I learned to give sacrificially to my bride, I gained a more beautiful bride. Kim, you should have said amen to that one right now. She said, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I, I may have felt in some ways, hear me. I, I may have felt in some ways that what I was doing was a sacrifice. But I can assure you that any sacrifice that I've made for my marriage has resulted in a return far greater than my sacrifice. All right? I, I, I don't sacrifice for that reason, but I understand at this point, it's a beautiful result. Now, as a side note, let me say this, all right? I, 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 I do need to make the statement that love can be rejected, amen? Think about this. Who did Jesus die for? Who did Jesus die for? Everyone. Has everyone received his love? No, some have rejected him. Now, I'll be honest with some of you. Maybe you do everything I say and you say my love is rejected. That's gonna happen to some people, but I'm gonna tell you the best chance you've got of having a growing relationship in your marriage is when you learn to sacrifice as the Lord sacrificed for us and in return, you receive something beautiful. Now, with that said, I wanna make this statement as well. Love flourishes with intentionality. Look at verse 28 and 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Some key words, nourishes and cherishes. Words that speak about the intentionality of one's love. If the relationships in our life are not given the necessary attention, they will not flourish. But when we intentionally give the time and attention they need, they grow. You see, folks, what those who commit to being a part of grace marriage this fall will discover is that there's great benefit found because of intentionality given to help your marriage be strong. The week spent in the class and then the time spent at home implementing the principles, you're gonna learn you'll have a benefit that you will not regret. Intentionality can be a powerful thing. But for any of us today who simply take relationships for granted, who are not giving intentionality to those relationships, we should not be surprised when those relationships deteriorate. Now, as I get ready to close, I wanna make something very clear. This, the focus on this passage is not primarily about marriage. Now, I know for me that this passage changed my life because it changed my mentality when it came to my relationship with Kim. I also know that this passage does speak to couples in regards to marriage. This is a passage that every married couple should study and live by. It is really a practical passage on marriage. However, we have to understand that marriage in this passage is still in a way secondary. Because hear me, Christ's love is primary and our love for others is secondary. Listen to how Paul concludes his passage. He says, this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to what? Christ and the church. It refers to Christ and the church. Who's he primarily speaking about? Christ and the church. And then this next word, it's almost like, however, however, all right. It's about Christ and the church, however, all right. Let each one of you love his wife as his heaven. Let the wife see that she respects her husband, all right. It's, it's almost like, this is primary, here's secondary, right. 
Ultimately, what we are pointed to is the source of real love and joy, and that is Christ. The relationship that is eternal is Christ's relationship with his church, his people. The love that you were created for is not really the love of another human being, but you were created for the love of God, and therefore the church is the true family of God. The relationship that we have with Jesus is permanent. All earthly relationships are temporary. Are you aware that even Jesus said this, in heaven there will be no marriage or given in marriage? Are you aware about that? Oh no, I just thought shocked some of you, right? What any of us ultimately need to experience is God's love for us through Jesus if we're ever going to express the love we need for others, including our spouse. This passage above all is meant to point us to the sacrificial love of Jesus that when experienced moves us to love others with a sacrificial love. When we understand that Jesus truly gave himself to pay for our sin, it can radically change one's life. I want you to know today that if you've made a mess of your life, or you're experiencing brokenness in your life because of the mistakes of others, you cannot fix that brokenness on your own because a sin of any kind demands a perfect sacrifice and only Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. Only he can pay for your sin. In fact, in a few moments, what we are going to do today is we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. You see the elements on the table in front of us. I want to, in fact, the worship team, won't y'all come on up and join me as we get ready for this invitation time. As we have this invitation, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And if today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've been baptized to express your faith, here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite you to come. Come around, take these elements, go back to your seat. And I want you to take these elements that represent the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ that was shared for you, and I want you to take them. And what this time should do for you is a time of reflection where you ask yourself, ask yourself this. Am I now loving with a Christ-like love? Ask yourself, am I loving with the sacrificial love that follows the example that Jesus has set for me? If you're married, you can ask that in regards to the love for your spouse. Am I loving my spouse as Christ loved the church? But we can also ask that in regards to others. Am I loving others that way? Are you loving in such a way that you reflect the sacrificial love of Jesus? If not, let this time be this, a time where you stop and you say, Lord, as I thank you for the, your, your body and your blood that you gave for me, the sacrifice that you made, Lord, I'm asking you to do this. Give me a heart that beats like yours. Help me, Father, to love with that same sacrificial love. Let me follow your example, Lord. Pray that. And once you've prayed that, your heart's right, and you're ready to love in that way, you take those elements, celebrate what Jesus has done for you. Now, for those who are not Christian, this is time for you to ponder God's love for you. If you're not a Christian this morning, you shouldn't take these elements, all right? Because that can be dangerous to you. The Bible says we, we, we take that to our condemnation if we do this and don't know Christ in our life. But if you're here not a believer, I want you to be able to, to celebrate someday and take these elements because you've experienced Christ. So if you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Jesus, I want you to understand that Jesus died for your sin. Jesus died in order that your sin might be punished through his death. He gave himself up for you, even though you didn't deserve it. He died for you sacrificially. And what he is waiting for you to do is to give your life to him. He wants you to begin to walk with him, to express your faith in him today. And my encouragement to you as we celebrate this Lord's Supper, if you've never given your life, Brother Jacob will be here. I'll be over here. And what we're asking you to do, come to us. Because we want you to help you come take Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. 
And then someday after being baptized, you can then celebrate with us, Lord, what he has done for you. In fact, I'm going to close with these verses from Romans 3. It says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets from long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. You see, I pray today for some, instead of coming again to receive these ailments, you'll come and place your faith in Jesus Christ, all right? So I don't know what you need, believer, we're gonna celebrate in a minute. Pray, God, help me to be a sacrificing like you. For those that don't know Jesus, you come today and give your life to him. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we come in this moment. We thank you for the sacrificial love that you've shown us through Jesus that changes our life. And in these moments, as we celebrate that sacrifice, help us all to consider our life and are we sacrificing like you? And then for some today, if they don't know you, I pray this would be a moment they would come and say, I need Jesus. I need to receive his love. And I give my life to him, understanding the sacrifice he made for me. So Lord, you speak in these moments, I pray in Jesus' name.